Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio and show number 504 in our weekly series. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We are out there raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups are developing research, publishing case studies and shining a light on all the great practice that's going on out there. You can visit engagesuccess.org to learn more about us and sign up for the weekly newsletter so you never miss out on any of our great free resources, events and updates. And I'm Andy Gorham. I'm your host for today's show and founder of BizJuicer, an employee engagement, retention and culture consultancy that helps create stickier businesses from the inside out. Now, today's episode centers around a simple, single question. What can you contribute to the world that 10,000 others would struggle to bring? Yep, today we're going to explore the power of strengths as we discuss how identifying and embracing your distinct abilities can lead to not only personal fulfillment, but also sustainable success within organizations. My guest today is Kevin Campbell. And Kevin is an employee experience scientist with Qualtrics and the founder of Lifted Leadership, a strengths-based executive coaching practice. Now, with Kevin's help, over the next 30 minutes, we'll look into what's good about this approach, what it can achieve, and how it works in harmony with, or maybe challenges, some of the other life theories on performance out there too. So, whether you're a leader seeking to cultivate a culture of individual expression within your team, or an individual aspiring to make your mark in a way that only you can, this episode is your guide to harnessing and making the most of your unique qualities. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here, Kevin. Really good. Uh, I'm very lucky. This is not the first time I've, had, I've got to speak to you, so I'm, I'm really excited to speak to you again. Previously, we've talked on my own podcast about the combination, the powerful combination of customer experience and uh, employee experience data, which was absolutely fascinating. But today we're tackling a different topic around strengths. But before we get into that, will you do me a little favor, Kevin, just give us a little bit of an introduction and background uh, to you and what you're focusing on right now. Yeah, yeah. So my background is as an organizational psychologist. Uh, but prior to graduate school, I worked as a headhunter in the Silicon Valley area. So uh, I actually worked as a headhunter for Google, trying to find the best software engineers in the world to come work at the corporate headquarters in Mountain View. Mm-hmm. And it was, in many ways, my experience at Google, working for the best place to work, according to all the workplace lists at the time, uh, was the observation that I made that despite being such a great workplace in the objective sense, there were subjective differences in terms of how engaged people were in their jobs. Wow. And I to, to really understand what it was that made people happy at work, what made people a great fit for their job. And that was what led me to study uh, both positive psychology and organizational psychology. And after that, I had the pleasure of having a really, really blessed career, privileged to work at a number of great organizations. I am a recovering consultant. So my first <laughs> job in graduate school was working for the Gallup organization in their strengths based selection practice. 
uh, also had the pleasure of not only coaching a number of leaders and executives, but also training coaches on Gallup's strengths-based approach. Uh, had the pleasure of working for Deloitte's Human Capital Division, worked for a competitor of my current company, which is Qualtrics. The, the competitor is CultureAmp. They're uh, an Australian-based uh, employee engagement, people, and culture platform. Uh, did my own thing for a couple of years, uh, really focusing on the coaching aspect of my work. And now I work as a, an employee experience scientist with Qualtrics, where I get to help really large organizations combine their customer experience and employee experience data. Um, but my true passion is my, my practice as a coach. And uh, that's where I work with just a, a handful of people that are really looking to leverage all of their unique talents, their patterns of thought, feeling, and behavior that can be productively applied and apply them to making them better leaders, making better career decisions, more productive and, and happier overall. I mean, that's some background, my friend. Um, very well qualified to talk about this today. Um, and if you don't mind, maybe we can just draw it back to, um, well, let's start at the beginning with something simple. How about you explain the concept of a strength-based approach and particularly the idea of making this contribution that sets someone apart from thousands of others that we linked to in the, in the introduction to today? Yeah, yeah. So I think sometimes the best way to explain a strengths-based approach is to contrast it with other approaches. So the two other approaches that I will contrast it with are the traditional approach and what I would call the talent identification approach. So the traditional approach is to identify areas of improvement. So if you want to develop a leader, you want to develop an individual contributor, you want to develop as a person, you might start with doing some sort of an assessment of where you are relative to where you want to be, identify improvement areas, and then develop an improvement plan in order to fill those gaps. Uh, so it's really about working on fixing weaknesses. Uh, and yeah. some of the, the, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 I was just saying, I was, I was agreeing with you. you, you, you yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it kind of makes a couple of assumptions um, about human behavior and, and human development. Um, one, it believes uh, or it assumes rather that most, if not all, behaviors can be learned. Um, sometimes this can take a very formulaic approach in terms of understanding what good looks like and then making the assumption that the best in a particular role or in a particular activity display the exact same behaviors. And it assumes that, that fixing on weaknesses is going to, to lead to success. So that's the, the traditional or conventional approach. Mm. The strengths-based approach really focuses on identifying people's natural patterns of thought, feeling, and behavior that have the ability or the potential to be productively applied. So it starts with identifying those natural patterns, uh, whether or not someone tends to reach out to others and get energy from social connections and conversations, whether somebody is more inclined to be an internal processor of information, someone who likes to make connection between disparate facts and figures, and then thinks about how can those natural patterns be leveraged in order to make those natural patterns into consistent, near-perfect performance in a given area or on a given task. Uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll contrast that with the third approach, 
which I would call talent identification, which is really just about identifying those talents and identifying those natural patterns, but leaving them there. But the difference between the strengths-based approach and the talent identification approach is it borrows a little bit from that conventional approach. And that it says that what's the gap between your total potential and your actualized performance? And what are the different patterns that you can use to maximize and optimize those things that you already have the potential to be great at? Hmm. So it's just about recognizing your talents or patterns or even your strengths. It's about taking those talents and patterns and intentionally investing in them. And that makes a couple of different assumptions about human development and behavior. One, it assumes that only certain behaviors can be learned. Um, now, you can add skills and knowledge to anybody's repertoire, right? Like I can learn to play basketball. I can learn to do physics equations. But no matter how hard I try, I probably can't be as good at physics as Stephen Hawking or learn to play basketball like LeBron James. Mm. Um, it also assumes that the best in the role have a diverse set of approaches that they use to delivering on those outcomes. Think about a consultant as an example. I know some consultants that are really good at what they do because they develop deep personal relationships with their customers. They understand the inner workings of the business. They understand the personalities of the people that they work with. And they use that to develop those trusted advisor relationships. Whereas I know others that are extremely analytical and great problem solvers and are able to provide value to an organization because they know how to demonstrate that value through numbers and strategy and analytics. And both of those types are able to get to the same outcome of producing great work for their customers, but they get there through very different paths. Uh, and the other assumption, and I think this one is the one that's the most eye-opening for people, is that weakness fixing is absolutely important because weaknesses are typically where we can find catastrophic failures if we don't fix them. And it's really important that we don't have those Achilles heels because they can really take us out of the game. But once you've addressed those weaknesses, in most instances, that just brings you to baseline. But baseline isn't what's going to take you to the next step. The next step is to go from good to great. And usually that comes from optimizing and maximizing your talents and turning those into strengths. I mean, that's really interesting because while you're talking, there's a couple of things that are sort of flying around in my mind. And I did, I did um, a, a bit of research in, into some of these things just to make sure that I, I if you started to talk about things I didn't understand, I, would, I wouldn't know what to ask you. So um, the couple of things that sort of came across in my mind while you were talking were, I mean, this sounds like a balanced sort of SWOT analysis in the background going on, going on here between strengths and weaknesses. And there seems to be a bit of crossover between things like, a growth mindset. Now, when I was looking into strength stuff, um, if you think about the focus actually today on things like growth mindset, there is a view, I guess, where that a strength-based approach or a strength-focused approach might actually weaken you inadvertently. I mean, mm -hmm. is there a way, if it's done incorrectly, maybe, Kevin, that it could discourage people from actually embracing the 
the challenges, the, the, the weaknesses and striving to improve those, or it might actually turn a blind eye to blind spots. I mean, how would you answer that? I love that question. And um, I, I love the work of Carol Dweck. She's a, a Stanford University psychologist who identified the idea of growth mindsets and fixed mindsets. And I would mm. say that strengths-based development won't necessarily weaken you, but a fixed mindset will. Yeah. So, you know, a fixed mindset is essentially the belief that your characteristics, your qualities and ability to achieve results are more or less set in stone. Yeah. Whereas a growth mindset is the belief that your ability to attain pretty much any outcome or desirable quality can be achieved through perseverance, stick-to-itiveness, and a desire to really grow and develop. So what, what Dweck was able to identify is that people that have a fixed mindset they tend to spend more time assessing their talents instead of developing them. Whereas those with a growth mindset understand that your natural patterns or your talents are just the beginning of a journey to excellence. Uh, as a result of having a, a fixed mindset, people tend to play it safe. They might not necessarily spend time working on developing themselves. Whereas people with a growth mindset are going to put a lot of energy into learning from setbacks instead of using those setbacks as a way of saying, oh, well, I'm just not good at that, so I'm going to walk away from it. And a lot of times people can say, well, okay, that seems very counter to the strengths way of looking at things. And on the surface, that might be true. But that's why I really like to identify the difference between talent identification, ones that really only acknowledge uh, programs that only really acknowledge participants' natural talents and tendencies versus strengths development programs that focus on helping people see that their talents are characteristics that could be strengthened through hard work and intentional development. And there's actually some, some work that's been done within the higher education setting. Uh, a, a woman by the name of Michelle Lewis during her graduate program uh, actually developed two different kinds of programs. One that was more of a talent identification program, which was really about just showing people, hey, this is what you're good at. This is how you're wired. Good for you. Focus on these things. There was also another program that she randomly assigned participants to that was all about, hey, here are your natural, pattern, uh, natural patterns, your natural talents. But the people that go the farthest, fastest are not the people that just say, hey, this is what I'm good at, but say, hey, this is what I'm good at. Therefore, I'm going to spend a lot of time working on growing this area of my potential in order to maximize that potential. Also understanding that sometimes your greatest talents, your greatest patterns can also be those things that if they're overused, misused, or misapplied can be the things that turn into weaknesses. So when, when Gallup first identified strengths-based development, they actually created a formula that went along with it. And it goes talent times investment equals strength. And what they found was that, and what this, this researcher found, was that people that were in a development program versus an identification program ended up improving their growth mindset, whereas those that went through just the identification program ended up leaving with a fixed mindset. So there is truth to this idea that if you misapply this idea of strengths-based development, it can lead to a fixed mindset, and that can weaken you. But yeah. if it's a 
correctly and it leads to a growth mindset, that can strengthen you. And the idea that you really want to leave with is what's going to prompt a participant, what, what's going to prompt one to want to spend time honing their abilities? And that could be done with a weakness mindset as well. You could say, hey, we're going to identify your weaknesses and you're going to work on them and you're going to improve them. And that's going to lead to a growth mindset as well. But growth mindset can be either applied in a weakness-focused context or a strength-based context. And I would argue that depending on what your goal is and how much time you have to develop, the strengths-based mindset will in most instances get you somewhere farther, faster, with greater ease, excellence, and enjoyment than the weakness-based mindset. But there's going to be instances where the weakness-based mindset is going to be appropriate because maybe there's some sort of failure that you're trying to avoid or some sort of big thing that's getting in the way. But ideally, in most instances, you want to spend the bulk of your time getting really good and, and excellent and great at the things that you already have a natural inclination toward. Um, another way of thinking about this is you can do what you're bad at until you become good or do what you're great at until you become excellent. And this is really about the idea of moving from just okay to good to absolutely one of the best in the world. I love that concept. I, I love that. And I, I, I just picking up on a couple of things that have really resonated with me. I mean, I'm a big fan of Carol Dweck's work. I just love the whole power of yet and the you're creating a, uh, the, the, the power of yet in your own um, organization. And I think actually the, the qualification you make between um, strengthening versus strengths, I think that's incredibly well made because the interpretation, like you said, of talent ID stuff is that it's just concentrating on strengths. But actually the word strengthening here makes makes a lot more sense. So look, um, was we're, we're having a conversation and we at the moment we're focusing on and individual strengths and how important they are and the focus and application of whatever tool, whatever support is given around that is really, really important. Again, when we're thinking about a modern workplace, often we're talking about um, a, a team and a team mm. relies on, I guess, a, a diverse set of skills. When you're working with organizations uh, and, and clients, how do you address any concerns that this strong, seemingly strong focus on individual strengths may well how does that contribute to a need for i guess a more rounded view of how a team works together what challenges does that bring for for leaders dealing with these sorts of approaches i love that question because our strengths are made relevant in light of the challenges that other people have mm. um when, when we fall into the trap of trying to be all things to all people, to, to being completely self-sufficient, we don't open up the opportunity for other people to step into our gaps and make a, a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. When you think about some of the, the great business partnerships, and let's just talk about a, a partnership between two people, let alone a team, we can think of many instances of a visionary CEO who had a very operationally focused COO, somebody who was the Steve Jobs and the Steve Wozniak, that combination yeah. of sales skills and, and public relations and technical skills and engineering. And they both had a little bit of the other, but 
enough to, to be able to play on that level playing field, but together they were able to achieve more than either one could achieve on their own. And when we give up or at least loosen our grip on the idea of having to be completely self-sufficient and having to be good at everything and having to be great at everything, we uh, enable ourselves the power and the gift of focus because we can be good at a lot of things, but most of us can only be really great at a few things. And if we find someone who has another set of talents and skills that complement ours, we can really take um, huge leaps forward. And it's not always about covering for, for one's weaknesses or covering for those things that someone else doesn't want to do. That's where, where people get hung up sometimes is saying, okay, well, I need to find someone who's strong where I'm weak. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely part of it, but that's only one part of it. There's also finding that person who takes over where I leave off. That person who really moderates some of the things that I do or accelerates and amplifies some of the things that I do. An example might be, someone who's very futuristic oriented, who can really create that vision for the future and someone who is really good at translating a vision for the future into a, a specific timeline instead of plans, right? So it's not necessarily that that person that can set the vision is bad or incapable of translating that vision into a focused timeline, but maybe there's someone else who's even better at that and who actually gets a lot more energy out of putting specific milestones and deadlines together. So it's not always necessarily about covering a weakness, but it's saying how can we be positioned in a way that makes it so that we're operating in our zone of genius. And part of that is loosening up our grip on having to be the be all and end all of everything, because that's the whole reason that teams exist. The whole reason the teams exist is because if we're not capable of doing it all, and that's okay. That's part of why we have organizations. That's part of why we have this division of labor is to be able to uh, achieve more collectively than any of our single talents would be possible of achieving. And ironically, that whole piece of recognizing and being okay with the fact that I, I don't know everything, I don't have to know everything, I don't have to be everything for everybody is today verbalized as vulnerability which you know again in old times would have been the complete opposite of strength and yet today when we think about being vulnerable you know we think it shows strength to be able to be that way so that, that that's that's a lovely a lovely little background to this whole thing um okay so let's let's think about it from this perspective then so once someone has identified their unique skills talents whatever it may be when you're working with them, Kevin, what sort of strategies do you end up recommending so that these become more than just identified, they actually get put to use to make the most positive impact that they possibly can? Yeah, it, it really depends on where someone wants to go and what their goals are. So the quick answer is that it depends, but there are a set of strategies that people can use in order to take things to the, the next level. So one is to intentionally invest in your talents. What that looks like is if you notice that you have, as an example, a talent for connecting with people. And this is a, a great example of a consultant that I knew in Europe 
mm. who was really great at connecting with people. She got a lot of energy out of getting to know new people, expanding her network. She was the kind of person that would strike up a conversation on an airplane and elevators going about her business. And one of the ways that she invested in that natural talent was to learn seven different languages. Wow. So, so she was able to take that natural ability to connect with people and really invest in it by multiplying the number of people that she was able to connect with by adding a specific skill and knowledge set to that natural talent that really optimized and expanded and maximized the potential that she had. So that's one way of being able to apply this identification is to specifically invest in those natural patterns to figure out ways that you can maximize them. Another way of investing might be to understand how you go from having these patterns just be patterns and thinking about how you might be able to invest in the refinement of those patterns. So as an example, you might have someone that gets labeled as aggressive. Uh, and in certain organizational contexts, that could be a negative thing. But if aggressive is seen as being able to steer the ship in the right direction when things go off track, or aggressive means standing up for someone who's getting railroaded so that those who might be marginalized or might, might not have their voices be heard are heard in order to create better outcomes for everyone, um, or if it's done with the right kind of tact and finesse that leaves people uh, understanding that there's room for improvement but doesn't tear people down, you can take that natural tendency to be, quote unquote, aggressive and, and use it to create a feeling of being authoritative and helpful and a champion. So another way of investing is to say, how can I make this others oriented? How can I make this intentional? And how can I practice this natural pattern so that it works for me rather than me working for it? And then lastly, is to be intentional in applying those natural patterns to a specific goal or opportunity or problem that you happen to be facing. Um, when we look at our talents or our strengths as a set of, of tools, uh, we might have a tendency to go directly to one tool more often than the others, but it's really about applying the right tool to the right problem, the right goal, the, op the right opportunity to say, okay, am I going to use my, my analytical talents, my ability to be skeptical and my, my tendency to, to, to pull things apart in this instance, or am I going to apply my connectedness talent, my my tendency to see the whole that's greater than the sum of its parts, the, the ability to connect dots between seemingly disparate pieces of information and be more intentional about taking the right tool with you into a particular situation or setting so that you're not necessarily being inauthentic to yourself, but that you're being authentic and congruent with the right aspects of yourself that align most naturally to that particular goal situation or problem that you happen to be facing. I mean, uh, that all makes sense to me. It's taking me back a bit actually to the Gallup equation that you, you talked about almost at the start of this conversation about talent times investment equals strength in, in my head, in my, in my little head, 
I've got talent times investment times application equals strength and impact. I, I think it's the application of all of these things in the right way is the thing that then makes stuff great stuff happen. Um, before I let you go today, Kevin, um, can you think about this for me? In, in everything that we've talked about, in all the work that you do, what's the most crucial takeaway you could possibly leave uh, our listeners with today as they shoot off and embark on their own journey of impact and meaningful contribution? Yeah, I'd say try and answer that question of all the things that you can do, of all the things that you do well, what are you the best at? Start there. And then once you've got that answered, try to answer the question of what can you contribute to the world that 10,000 others would struggle to be able to bring? Because when you do that, not only will you be happier, but you'll be able to help people in ways that the world might be missing right now. <laughs> what a brilliant, brilliant summary. Thanks, Kevin. Well, everybody, that is just about all we have time for today. Don't forget to visit engagementsuccess.org to check out the show notes and all of our fab free engagement resources where you can also download or stream any of the great shows just like this from our archive at your complete leisure. Kevin, mate, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and advice with us today. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for having me again, and I look forward to the next time we chat. Uh, yeah, me too, my friend. Me too. You take care. Okay, everybody. We will be back again at the same time next week. I'm Andy Gorham, and thanks for listening to Engage for Success Radio. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.